was written by a man shortly after the Chicago fire back in the in the mid to late 1800s and after any um, devastation people just you know kick in and help and reach out just like they did here at, after 9-11 and um, but the family his family was so exhausted and uh, that he decided to take his wife and daughters overseas to France for an extended vacation and just a re rejuvenating family time and Anyway, he sent his wife and daughters on ahead, and a lot of you might know this story already. The ship that they were on sank, and the wife survived, but the man received a telegram um, shortly after that from his wife saying, all is lost, all is lost. All of his daughters had drowned at sea. Anyway, when he made his transatlantic trip, um, by sea to retrieve his wife, the sea captain said to him as they got to the coordinates where the earlier ship had sunk, this is where you lost your children. And the story goes that he went to his cabin and penned this next song. When peace like a river attended my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my love thou hast told me to say it is well You can tell someone you love them from the bottom of your heart and believe that it's the truest thing you've known. And even if you never break the promises you make, the river's gonna keep on rolling on. If you haven't got a dollar, not a penny to your name, somebody's gonna miss you when you're gone. And even if you never find just a little peace of mind, the river's gonna keep on rolling on. Keep on going. Ocean. Keep on rolling to the sea. Keep on rolling till the love we need washes over you and me.
God's love is like the river at every turn and every bend. Faith in Him will turn your heart around. Cause even though we sin, there's forgiveness in the end. The river's gonna keep on rolling on. Washes over you and me. Keep on rolling till the love we need. Washes over you and me, and it is well. With my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. Appreciate um, many of you sending me uh, songs. I want to continue to encourage you to do that. We're we're going to develop a playlist uh, uh, around this topic of uh, into the wilderness, uh, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life, and it'll be a resource for all of us. So um, appreciate your songs. Music music is a powerful uh, intervention uh, for us in our lives. Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith, act like men, be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Follow with me as we read the introduction to our series. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis. And since he wants us to seek Him, seek help from him, He brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? I had a man in my office this week that asked that very question. He didn't phrase it exactly like that. But man, I understand the question. But remember, Jesus, 
He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust him in our wilderness seasons. Let's journey together. (coughs) Excuse me. Suffering is real. I would never want to sit with you, and if I've ever sat with you, I would hope that you would never feel like that I am minimizing, have minimized your pain. It's real. It's real. And the purpose of our series is somehow quantifying the wilderness. The topic of our session today is making sense of the wilderness because, man, it feels like nonsense. And I could use a lot stronger word uh, if we were sitting around the campfire right now, right? It seems senseless. I mean, yeah, I get it. You know, suffering's part of the Christian life, but I didn't think it was going to be this. But guess what? You didn't get a vote, did you? I didn't get a vote. As Joe said earlier, there's nobody in this room that hasn't gone through difficult times, is going through a difficult time, or going to go through a uh, difficult time. I want you to listen to this uh, Henry Cloud. Um, Henry Cloud is a teaching mentor, um, very uh, uh, much a part of my broken story. And uh, he has a perspective uh, on suffering that I want you to see. You know, we talk <laughs> how do people grow? So sometimes, especially when we're talking to pastors, I'll say, so if you want to tell people um, how they get better, how they grow, how they overcome sin, so what do you tell them? And you'll hear all sorts of things. You know, you got to pray, and you got to read the Bible, and you got to do all this stuff, and all these disciplines. You know, if you want to protect yourself from sin, and it's interesting. You go to the Bible, it's very interesting what it says. In First Peter 4, 1, it says this. It says, arm yourselves. Protect yourself with the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus. And that is arm yourselves with this mindset, this purpose, it says, to suffer. And then it says this, for he who has suffered in the flesh is done with sin. Now think about that. Wait a minute. The way to get out of all this suffering of sin is to suffer? I thought I was trying to be an overcomer. Well, you are going to be an overcomer, but to be an overcomer, you got to be sufferer. And it's simple theology. Eighth grade basketball team, Carr Junior High School, Vicksburg, Mississippi. I remember it up on the board. No pain, no gain. That's the formula. Mm. Wow. Follow with me in 1 Peter chapter 4. It's on the back of your notes there. You can open your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 4 that Dr. Cloud is referring to. It reads like this in the message. 1 Peter 4 verse 1, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more. Now, is that not a hard phrase? Really? No, no. I mean, I, I, I tried to convince a counselor one time 
how hard it was to be married to Carla Harden. You know, he was kind of giving me some baloney, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking, you want me to go home and do that? You're not married to her. You go home and do that and come back and tell me how that worked out. You know, but it's like, you know, he was trying to help me understand that she wasn't my problem. You know, that's not the problem. You know what the problem is? You, you know the old adage, everywhere I go, there I am. <laughs> everywhere I go, there I am. And Jesus has experienced it all. Learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. And then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. I mean, it is, it is, it is like saying to a child, give it back, give it back, you know. And it's like the old Catholic nun will wrap you on the knuckles until you open up, give it over, give it over. So I want you to pick up your pen. I've got three questions for you. First of all, what I want you to do, just like we did last week, I want you to write down three words that would be wilderness words to you. When you think of the wilderness, what comes to your mind? Synonyms. What are we talking about? So let's make sure we got it quantified and we're not just talking about some sort of abstract, you know, I'm not in the wilderness. I've never been in the wilderness. You know, no, you've been in the wilderness, but what do you call it? So what are the words that we would call the wilderness? Work with me. Fear. Fear. Have lots of fear. Loneliness. Confusion, doubt, loss, anxiety, chastisement. What was it? Hopeless. All right, failure, shame. All right, we could go on and on. Pain, in other words, this hurts. I'm in the wilderness. Set, set with a gentleman uh, this week. Good-looking guy, dressed to the nines, really sharp. And he's just telling me, I'm lost. I feel dead. I don't feel anything. I don't have any hope. And of course, in my mind, because we're doing this series, I'm thinking this guy's in the wilderness, but he can't figure out where he is, why he's here, and how to get out. So he's not literally in a desert, but he's in the wilderness. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. First question, what is God's part in your wilderness experience? Well, that's a very relevant question. That may seem like, what do you mean God's part, you know? No, seriously, what is God's part in your wilderness experience? 
I don't believe that you or I are ever in a situation that is accidental. Again, you didn't create the space necessarily, but you're there and somehow God is involved. Now that is a hard concept. And I learned that as a new Christian at the University of Tennessee when the uh, university had given me a pink slip and they let me know that they were going to continue without me. It kind of hurt my feelings, if you know what I mean. And the guy, I was a brand new Christian, and the guy who was discipling me took me over to Genesis 50, and he helped me understand that even in the darkest times, as Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he looked at me and he said, Phil, God's going to use this. And man, I spent six months uh, having a real job. Only time I've ever worked in my whole life. I was painting houses and working in a factory. And it's just like, dude, I'm going back to school. This, this like sucks really bad, you know? And it's just like, man, would I love to have those six months back, you know, where I could just kind of work hard. And I had a job to where I could read uh, while I did the job. It was, uh, it was just checking a, a, um, a ray online. They were making a, a, a graphite for graphite golf clubs and fishing poles. And I just checked the line every 30 minutes. And I would read and journal. I was a new Christian. I was working through the 10 basic steps toward Christian maturity. It's like, I, in a sense, I was like in the wilderness that God took the apostle Paul through when he first became a Christian. And I got a chance to just read and study. But I felt like my life was kind of over. I didn't know where I was going to go. God was involved. Second question, what part of you needs to die? Now, there's a question. What do you mean, what part of me? I'm not talking about your left arm or your right leg. I'm talking about that part of you that you keep leaning on to protect you. Now, in my life and in many men's lives that I've sat with, you know what we often go to? is anger, anger. I didn't realize I was an angry man. But anger is oftentimes used as a false form of power. And God will take that fist and he'll wrap you across the ankles and say, give it up. Quit being so mad. I'm not mad, I'm flustrated, as one client said to me. Dude, that's mad, okay? There's like, you know, anger and then like a hundred other words underneath it that are synonyms, it's anger. What needs to die in you? What do you keep going back to? You know, Proverbs says that a dog returns to his vomit. That's you and me. That's what he's talking about. It's like, I keep going back to that which I think will make life work, and it ain't going to work. Third question. Is there purpose in your wilderness experience? Only you can decide that for you. Now, there is, according to God, there is no doubt that God is not random in any way. He is a God of order. But do you think it just to be random? And it's just like, I just want to get out of this. I'm in survival. 
there, there is two kinds of suffering. There is redemptive suffering and wasted suffering. Blessed are those who suffer, but there's also suffering long versus long-suffering. The Bible says we are to be long-suffering. But if you're into suffering long, it's just like, you know, you've just got your teeth gritted and your fists clenched, and it's just like, I can't like it, is what Abigail used to say when she was four years old. Daddy, I can't like it. And it's like, what's God doing? God is up to something always. So let's look at that. God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? I'm in the wilderness. What are you doing? First of all, it is a privilege to be chosen, is it not? You know, I want to be on the team. You know, we've all been, you know, the littlest guy, and, and then we get, you know, as we get older, we get to be the chooser. And we, we put together the team. But when you're little and, you know, you get to that and you're little and it's like, okay, we'll take the three girls and you can have Phil. <laughs> dude, dude, dude I, I've heard that. I've, I, 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 I remember those days. Yeah, okay, we'll take the three girls and you can have Phil. It's just like, wow, really? You know? And it's just like, God chooses to take us through the wilderness to get us into a place of solitude and loneliness in a healthy way, not in an isolated way, to where he can speak to us. And he has done that redemptively through redemptive history consistently because he he has a purpose for our life. So wilderness has a rich meaning to it. What is God's intent in taking you through the wilderness? Well, first of all, it's discipline. And again, remember, discipline is not punishment. Discipline and punishment are not synonyms. Even as good parents, we're to discipline our children. And the word discipline means to teach, to train. What's he trying to teach you? He wants to show you how much he really cares. Really? It's <laughs> not my idea of care. I'm telling you, those six months that I spent uh, years ago um, working, reading my Bible as a new Christian, wow. Never felt more cared for. Devotion to him, teaching me how to worship, restore the focus of our worship. What do you really value? When you're going through the wilderness, does not that which you value most come into focus? Worth, shup, what do you really value? And trust that part of the wilderness experience is to develop a language that we can really trust. The way we learn trust as children is to look into the eyes of a mother uh, after about eight or nine months. Uh, we're, we're more comfortable with daddy, but we're initially locked into mama. 
and we have that language that we trust. And that's what God's doing with us. He'll take us in to a place of hurt and pain in order to teach us how to trust him. And he'll demonstrate his grace by being close to us. I mean, you really never understand grace until you're desperate that you can feel love without your performance. Because when you're in the wilderness, you're so much at your wit's end. There's nothing that you can do. You're just hurting. But to experience God's grace when it really has nothing to do with your abilities or your performance, it really is at that point unmerited favor. And that's what grace is. When you're at your wit's end and you feel God's presence, that's grace. And then it firmly establishes our relationship with him. Wilderness experience is purposeful, meaningful. God does have a purpose for your life. The wilderness is more of an indication of that than the contrary, if you allow yourself to see it that way. I am so struck by the power um, of um, soldiers that go into battle. Some volunteer, some are drafted, some are told we're going into battle. And there's many in this room that have experienced that, and that is like a wilderness. A man going into the wilderness is like a soldier being called to duty. And, of course, our World War II fathers and grandfathers uh, have been called um, the greatest generation, and I, I concur with that. I, I love, love um, our fathers and our grandfathers who have fought for us. And, um, you know, the Band of Brothers video that was done uh, now uh, 10, 12 years ago, um, you know, the story of Easy Company. I mean, these are real guys. And I, I'm going to play a three-minute clip for you of just interviews with some of these guys. And it's like these guys were, they knew they were going into the wilderness. You know, they called it Europe. They called it Normandy. They called it battle. They called it war. It was into the wilderness. And in this three-minute clip, you know, seven or eight of them are, are interviewed. I want you to listen to what they say. Uh, jot it down. Words, phrases that you hear them say that somehow would help us dealing with the wilderness. Watch this. We were in a store and a guy in that store told us to put our uniforms on. What the hell are you talking about? He says, the USA is in a war with Japan. We couldn't believe it. Well, our country was attacked. It's a different. It wasn't like Korea or Vietnam. 
we was attacked. And, you know, it was a feeling that uh, maybe we just dumb country people, but where I come from, but uh, we a lot of us volunteered. Who would like to volunteer for the tank corps? Who would like to volunteer for the Air Force? Who would like to volunteer for Navy or whatever? And then uh, they said, who would like to volunteer for the Airborne? So we said, what the hell is the Airborne? Nobody ever heard of it. We came from a small, small town, and three fellows in that town were that were 4F committed suicide because they couldn't go at different times. I did things. I didn't do them for medals. I didn't do them for accolades. I did them because that's what had to be done. I said, well, you jump out of airplanes. You know, you got all your army equipment. You jump out of airplanes to fight the enemy. They said, go to hell. Nobody put up their hands. And then I don't know what it was brought it up, but the, the guy giving the, the speech was saying, but you get paid $50 a month more. So that made it 100 bucks. I, uh, standing in the door, I could see the lights on a drop zone. And I had to assume that was our drop zone way in the, ahead of us. And uh, so that uh, we had had the red light. I had everybody standing up, ready to jump. So when the plane started to get hit, and suddenly the pilot gives me the green light, I'm out the door immediately. Got such an opening blast from the or opening shot from the prop blast that it broke this chin strap that we had on this helmet liner. And, and uh, that's when I lost this famous leg bag that everybody talks about just from the shock of the opening. Uh, it just flew right off my foot. We came from the sky, we hit, and in any direction you went, there would be enemy, you knew it. And uh, that was all part of uh, what you accepted. How do you prepare yourself mentally? Each man must do that himself. Each man must prepare himself mentally to, uh, to make that jump. In the back of your mind, you, you, you know, you, you wonder what's going to happen and all that. You know you, uh, you've been trained and trained and trained and what, you, what your job is going to be and what you're supposed to do. And uh, you, oh, that's what you've got to think about, you know. Whether, and we lost a lot of people that night. But uh, you try to put it all on your mind. Heroes called into the wilderness, called into battle. Just a few of the phrases, we were attacked. We were attacked. Guys, we're in a war. We're in a battle. There is an enemy that's seeking to take you out. We're, we're not dressed in army uniforms, but we're in a battle. You're being attacked. I'm being attacked every day. That made a difference to these guys. We were attacked. Three guys committed suicide because they couldn't go. Wow. I, I fear that that would never be the case today. Don't you? Three guys would jump off the Tallahatchie Bridge 
because they couldn't go. How do you prepare yourself mentally? Each man must prepare himself mentally. Are you ready? We lost a lot of people. We lost a lot of people. Wow. Into the wilderness. Two faces of wilderness. Two faces. There is a kind of wilderness that even the Bible documents of running away. That we can run away. And then there is the kind of wilderness where we're driven into the wilderness. God takes us into the wilderness. And it's interesting, Moses and Hagar are two characters that illustrate uh, that idea. I you to turn over to Genesis uh, chapter 16. In Genesis 16 is the story of Hagar. I mean, she was abused by Sarah. I mean, she was mistreated. And in verse 6, it says, um, Sarah's complaining about Hagar, and, and um, she's pregnant after Sarah has encouraged Abram um, to have sex with her. And so Sarah's upset, and she says, you decide, said Abram, your maid is your business. And Sarah was abusive to Hagar, and Hagar ran away. She ran away. She ran into the wilderness. I want to get away from all this pain. And the angel of God found her beside a spring in the desert, and it was the spring on the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, maid of Sarah, what are you doing here? Ever been asked that question by God? You ran away? Um, I, in my own life, I've done that at least two ways, probably a lot of other ways, but two ways. For years, I ran uh, away from responsibility and facing my fears through depression. Now, I believe in clinical depression. I believe it can be real. Uh, my good friend, uh, Roan will, will, will give great testimony to that. He's, he's been through, uh, what we call the dark night of the soul in terms of real clinical depression. My depression was very different. I would get depressed when I would get afraid. I would get depressed, depressed when I didn't want to take care of something, when I didn't want to face Carla or the girls. Um, and so I would run away and I would get depressed. And then one day a counselor looks at me and says, Phil, how does depression benefit you? Hmm, I wanted to knock his lights out. What do you mean benefit me? What kind of a crazy, stupid counselor question is that? But dude, he had undressed me right there. He exposed the lie. I had been using depression as a way to get away. I was running into the wilderness. I sat with a man recently that he reminded me of 30 years ago. And I didn't like what I saw. 
and I got in his face in a way that I'm not sure many counselors would do. And I'm not sure that I should have done it, but I did it. Because my crazy way of doing counseling is more like a coach. And I had some great coaches that would chew my butt out. And I chewed this guy's butt out. Because I felt like that he was running away. And he was using a story that he had convinced himself that was true to protect himself from responsibility at home. And I saw myself. And after I chewed him out, and I was, I was pretty direct with him. I said, you know, I said, I, I've, I've been more direct with you than I have anybody in a long time. And I just want you to know the reason that I feel the freedom to be direct with you is because I see me in your eyes 30 years ago. And I love where I am today. I want you to get where I am. I've got a long way to go, but I'm in a different place. The other way that we can run away, just like Hagar, is literally. I mean, we can actually run away, and I did that. Years ago, I packed my Toyota Camry uh, with two baby girls and a wife at home, and I left. I quit, and I left. And I wanted to do the best that I could manipulate to create a new life because I was so scared and so miserable. And I left. And um, God rescued me out of the wilderness. It's a powerful story of Hagar. But God tells her to go back. Go back to your mistress Put up with her abuse, he continued. I'm going to give you a big family, children past counting. And over in, later on in Genesis 21, the story of Hagar continues, and she's back in the wilderness, but God puts her back in the wilderness in a different way. Moses is the same way. I want you to turn over to Exodus chapter 2. And Moses, himself, um, again, has run away. He's run to the wilderness. He's killed an Egyptian soldier, and he doesn't want to be found out. So he runs into the wilderness to hide. Verse 11, time passed. Moses grew up. One day he went and saw his brothers, saw all that hard labor. And then he saw an Egyptian hit a Hebrew, one of his relatives. He looked this way and then that. And when he realized there was no one in sight, he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Now, this is Moses. You know, we, we all just keep thinking of Moses as Charlton Heston, you know, riding through the Red Sea and the hero of the uh, Israelites' exodus. This guy killed a guy. The next day, he went out there again. Then two Hebrew men were fighting, and he spoke to the man who started, why are you hitting your neighbor? And the man shot back, "You, who do you think you are telling us what to do? Are you going to kill me? the way you kill that Egyptian. Then Moses panicked. Words got out. People know about this. And Moses fled to the wilderness. See, in both cases, Hagar and Moses encountered God, understood God by new names, received a promise, and were told to return to their difficult situations. But God took them into the wilderness to speak to them. 
And sometimes that wilderness is necessary in order for us to hear the voice of God. It's quieter out there in the wilderness, is it not? If entering the wilderness is one's own choice, then God takes advantage of the moment and he sends us back into the very problems. In my own life, God began to work in my life to where he helped me understand how I needed to face and take responsibility for my life. And I'd never known how to do that. So oftentimes I'd had people rescue me, care for me. And it's like God said, no, I want you to start standing up and being the man. Act like a man. And then if the wilderness experience is orchestrated by God, it leads to a more profound transformation. I mean, sometimes God will actually put us in the wilderness so that we can be transformed. God will bring difficult times into your life. I don't like that, and it does even today scare me about God. But man, as best I know how, I want to keep responding to God the way Job did. Though he slay me, I will trust him. I don't understand all of this, God. It doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you. In this this final piece, the reason for the season, the reason, the reason for the season in the suffering is to accomplish God's purposes. Sometime this weekend, Read Romans 5, the first five verses. Just meditate on that. I don't have time to read it this morning. It's there on your notes. Romans 5, 1 through 5, takes you through a developmental process of how God brings us through suffering times to develop our character and develop who we are. That suffering produces resiliency. It makes us more pliable, more like Gumby than a rigid tin soldier. It strengthens relationships if you do it well. I mean, there's guys in this room that have friends that they never had until they started going through hard times. And these friends have come around them. Guys, I'm telling you, wilderness suffering is a team sport. It's not to be played individually. And finally, suffering changes priorities and philosophies. You know, all of a sudden, what's important becomes important when you're in the wilderness. Making sense of the wilderness. It's not nonsense. It is real. It's purposeful. And God is not asleep. He's not on vacation. He has his hand on your life. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you uh, so much for giving us perspective. I pray you'd bring healing to those in this room that are really hurting. I pray you'd bring a sense of preparation and a willingness to be trained uh, for those of us who are headed into suffering and hard times. Um, And I pray that you would help all of us be more attuned to those around us who are hurting that we might be part of the provision of care for that person by our presence in their life.
Thanks for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.